Our scripture reading this morning, Romans 8, verses 18 to 27. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows that in his mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The word of the Lord. Last Lord's Day, I started a little mini-series on prayer, which we're going to wrap up today. But last week, we were considering the question, why do Christians need to pray? And as we looked at Scripture and at the Heidelberg Catechism, we found that there are three reasons. First of all, prayer is worship. In fact, prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness that God requires of us. It is the most important ingredient to our lives being the worshipful lives that God wants us to live. And since God requires this of us, secondly, prayer is God's will. Prayer is worship. Prayer is the will of God. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. There's just no room argument on that one. God wants us to be a praying people. He calls us to be a praying people. He commands us to be a praying people. And the third reason, according to the Heidelberg Catechism, prayer works. God gives his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who pray continually and groan inwardly, asking God for these gifts and thanking him for them. The praying continually part is covered in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Pray without ceasing. The groaning inwardly is covered for us in this passage that Gino just read from the book of Romans chapter 8. Or as we saw in Luke chapter 11 last Sunday, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? So prayer is worship. Prayer is God's will, and prayer works. Each and all of those are good enough reasons to be spending more and more time in prayer. But the next question then has to be, what is prayer? Or as the Heidelberg Catechism frames it on Lord's Day 45, how does God want us to pray so that he will listen to us? And again, our outline is provided for us in the Heidelberg. Three points again this Sunday. First, we must pray from the heart. 
to no one other than the one true God who has revealed himself in his word, asking for everything he has commanded us to ask for. So that's really more like two or three things just right there. We must pray. We must pray from the heart. We must pray from the heart to no one other than the one true God who has revealed himself in his word. And we must pray asking him for everything that he has commanded us to ask for. We're not going to have a lot of time to focus on that last one, but it's really kind of important. There's a lot of people who are praying, or so they think, asking God for things that God never commanded us to ask of him. And we need to be careful about doing that. James says, you do not have because you do not ask, or because you do ask, but you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures or on your lusts, as older translations of that passage said. So two or three things in that first one, really, but nevertheless, second, we must acknowledge our need and misery, hiding nothing, there's that need and misery again, hiding nothing, and humble ourselves in his majestic presence. Third, we must rest on this unshakable foundation, even though we do not deserve it. God will surely listen to our prayer because of Christ our Lord. That is what he promised us in his word. So three points, and I just want to walk through those ideas together this morning. So first of all, we must pray from the heart to no other than the one true God who has revealed himself in his word asking for everything he has commanded us to ask for. Now, this was at least implied in our text last Sunday, that one that I just mentioned a moment ago. Jesus said, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? We pray to the one true God who has revealed himself to us in Scripture because in Scripture God has made certain promises to us. And our prayers need to be founded on those promises. Prayer that is according to the will of God must be made to the God who has willed it. That should go without saying, but these days perhaps it doesn't. There have been books and teachers who have said that prayer is essentially just sending out positive thoughts to the universe with the expectation that the universe is going to send those positive thoughts back to us in some kind of tangible form. There was a massive best-selling book some years ago called The Secret, and it's still there on the shelves in the stores, and people are still buying it. And I shudder to think of people not only buying it and spending money on this stuff, but buying it in terms of the premise of the book, which is just basically think positive thoughts, confess with your words that you will receive what it is that you want, and somebody out there somewhere is going to send those along to you. This is what some define as faith. They would be wrong. And these would say that it really doesn't matter much who you aim that faith at. If you simply believe hard enough, you're going to receive whatever it is you want. I've even heard some Christian pastors cite statistics to the effect that people in the hospital who are prayed for are more likely to recover. Now, that really shouldn't come as any surprise to those of us who actually just trust God and his word. 
But inevitably, those statistics will also go on to mention it doesn't matter who's praying or who they are praying to. It doesn't matter what their religion or what their faith tradition. It's just all about that positive mental attitude. And that part is not true. I don't even want to engage with it. As Jesus pointed out, it's not simply enough to say to him, Lord, Lord. And in 1 Corinthians 8, verses 5 and 6, for although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are, are all things and through whom we exist. Prayer that is according to the will of God, must be made from the heart, sure, it must be sincere, but it must be made to the God who wills it. In fact, to no other than the one true God who has revealed himself to us in his word as we ask for everything he has commanded us to ask for. And again, that last bit, everything that he has commanded us to ask for is another whole sermon. For this morning, I simply want to note, Jesus gave us a model prayer. We prayed it just a few moments ago. We know it as the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, there is an address, our Father, who art in heaven. And then there are six requests that follow that address. So seven parts to this prayer, plus the doxology at the end. But only one of those requests... Give us today our daily bread is really focused on our temporal and physical needs. One-seventh of that prayer is focused on the things that we think we need and the things that we want. And maybe that's one major point that we need to take away from that model prayer. That really the majority of our praying should not be focused on us the majority of our praying should be focused on God. A simple way of understanding that would be found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 33, where Jesus said, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? That's how a lot of people pray. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That word kingdom, the dominion, the rule of God. Seek that. Seek God's rule in your life, in your family, in the church, and in the world. Seek that first and foremost above all, and let God worry about those things that we are so often worried about in this life. First, we must pray from the heart to no other than the one true God who has revealed himself in his word, asking him for everything he has commanded us to ask for. Second, we must acknowledge our need and misery, hiding nothing, and humble ourselves in his majestic presence. Now, this is that acronym that some of us who are a little older maybe had been taught once as a model for prayer. Remember? A C T. S, acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. 
And again, in that prayer, there's four parts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Only one of the four really focuses on ourselves and our needs, and supplication should probably be divided into the prayers that we pray for ourselves, but also into the intercession that we make for others according to the will of God. So one-fifth of that acronym is focused on the things where the majority of Christians probably spend the majority of their time in prayer. But the second thing that we must do if we would truly pray is acknowledge our need and misery and humble ourselves under God's majestic presence. We begin by acknowledging God's majestic presence and then we continue by humbling ourselves within it. We need to confess our sin. We need to acknowledge our need and we need to acknowledge that God doesn't owe us anything. We have no right to come to God and make demands and say, God, this is what you owe to me as your child. I am such a wonderful person. Certainly, you must be inclined to give this. We come to God acknowledging that he doesn't owe us anything, acknowledging, as a matter of fact, that it is only in Christ Jesus. It is only when we come to God in Christ Jesus that we even have access to his majestic presence, And that's why Jesus says that the things we ask for must be according to his will. Because we're not asking for ourselves above all. We are asking on behalf of our Savior, Jesus Christ, for the things that glorify him. Far too often these days, prayer has become an exercise in telling God what to do. There are even schools of prayer that that say that's what we're supposed to do. Go and command God. What God must do for you. And even when he will do it, we know what we want. And we want it now. But if we understand that first and foremost, prayer is worship. Prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness that God requires of us. Then prayer ceases to be all about us. And prayer begins to find its focus in the God whom we approach. And when that is true, we will make far more of God in our prayers than we make of ourselves. It's in this light that the text that Gino read for us this morning takes on meaning. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. But how much of our praying focuses far more on the sufferings of this present time instead of on the glory that is to be revealed of us? How many of our prayers actually take the form of focusing on our suffering and then saying, God, just get me out of this. I don't want to endure suffering. I don't want to endure testing. I don't want to find myself in a place in life where I actually have to groan inwardly as I eagerly await for my adoption as your son, the redemption of the body. By the way, that reference in Romans 8.23 is a reference to the resurrection of the body at the final coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, for in this hope, 
we were saved. We were saved in the hope of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in glory and the resurrection of the dead unto eternal life in his name. In this hope we were saved, wrote the apostle, in hope of the life to come and of the glory to be revealed to us at the resurrection of the dead, not, not in hope of living our best life now. In truth, the verses just before our reading this morning, Romans 8, verses 16 and 17 say, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children heirs, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. We are fellow heirs with Christ and the Spirit bears witness to that. But the apostle goes on, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Listen to the language. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, provided that is the case if we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. At the very least, someone who prays, God, deliver me from all my suffering. I never want to suffer one second in my life. At the very least, they are praying, God, I don't want your spirit to actually be bearing witness with my spirit that I belong to you. Because the spirit does that as we endure those sufferings together with Christ in order that we may also be glorified with him. Prayer is not about asking God to just deliver us from all of the things that are just part of life in this broken and fallen world. It's about asking God that he would be glorified through us as we walk through those trials, looking to him alone as our rock and our refuge. True prayer is not demanding that God give us what we want. Rather, in true prayer, we must acknowledge our need and misery, hiding nothing, and humble ourselves in his majestic presence. Part of that humbling is just saying, God, you are God, and I'm not. You know things that I don't know. I think I mentioned last week, I've heard it said that God gives us what we would have asked for if we knew all the things that he knows. If we knew how all those pieces of the puzzle of his grace fit together, not only in our lives, but in this world, we would ask him to do the things that in fact he does as he works out his plan within us and within our lives. And finally, this morning, third... We must rest on this unshakable foundation, even though we do not deserve it. God will surely listen to our prayer because of Christ our Lord. That is what he promised us in his word. And one of the places where we find this promise is in Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. Verse 23 referred to the inward groaning 
aspect of prayer that was mentioned in the answer to question 116. God gives his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who pray continually and groan inwardly, asking God for these gifts and thanking him for them. But in verses 26 and 27, we are promised, not only does God hear that groaning as we pray continually and cry out to him for his grace and for his spirit, the spirit of God actually resonates with this groaning. Verse 26, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Underline that in your Bible and highlight it. Because I think most of us feel like we know exactly what to pray for. And Paul says, no, you don't. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us. And he does so with groanings that are too deep for words. I just want to add here, we have no reason to think that the Spirit is doing this while we are busy having fun. Um, you know, it might be nice if we could just skip prayer altogether and let the Spirit cover that base for us while we go out and go skiing or play golf or whatever it is that we enjoy doing. That's not what the Apostle is saying. Throughout this chapter, he's saying, as we look to God, and groan in our spirit and cry out to him for his grace. His spirit takes up that prayer. And in those places where we don't know what to pray for as we ought, his spirit does know what to pray for. And his spirit makes intercession for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts, that is, the God who knows Everything that is within us, who knows what we want and who knows why we want it, he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So I can hit my knees all I want and ask God for that Gulf Stream 5. Chances are pretty good the Spirit of God is not interceding that I would receive that. Chances are the Spirit of God is more concerned with the work of Christ in my heart. And the idea that I would walk through all of the things that God sends my way in this life, understanding that they are not accidents, understanding that these come from the hand of God, and that God is at work in all of those things to accomplish his purpose in my life as in yours. And we must rest on this unshakable foundation. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. How much greater our confidence in prayer when we understand that the Spirit of God himself intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The very next verse in Romans 8 continues the text that we began with this morning. I'm going to start back in verse 26, and I'm going to read to verse 
I don't know, whatever verse I have on the screen, um, as I bring this to a close today. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. This is that unshakable foundation the Catechism is referring to. For those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? To what things? To these things. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is the unshakable foundation upon which we rest when we pray from the heart to no one other than the one true God who has revealed himself in his word, asking for everything he has commanded us to ask for, and believing that even though we do not deserve it, God will surely listen to our prayer because of Christ our Lord. This is what he promised us in his word. To him alone be all glory and honor and praise. Let's look to him in prayer. Father, as his disciples came to the Lord Jesus asking him, teach us to pray, we would come this morning asking, teach us to pray. Not only teach us how to pray, but Father, teach us to pray. Teach us that when we are in those moments where we are struggling with trial or temptation, with testing of some kind, that instead of looking to ourselves and our own resources, instead of looking to all of the resources that this world might have to offer, we would look to you through Christ Jesus, our Savior, knowing that you don't hear our prayer because we are such wonderful people who deserve it, but you will hear our prayer because Christ Jesus, our Savior, has shed his body and blood and has purchased for himself a people to be holy unto you. As we are part of that people, Father, we come to you in his name and we cry out, give us your grace, give us your Holy Spirit, work in us today and every day all that is pleasing to you through Jesus Christ our Savior, to whom be the glory forever and ever. We pray in his name, amen. <clears throat>